Welcome to the fifth episode of PH Pod, a podcast brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post. I'm Nick Diamond, Managing Editor of PHP. In episode five of PH Pod, Dr. Marianne Darlensky revisits her article, Arguments, Evidence, and Abortion Policy, the most read publication on Public Health Post yet. Dr. Darlensky is an assistant professor of health policy and management at the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health. We start our conversation about the spark that lit the fire under her to pursue her work in public health. I think I, like many people, had uh, personal experiences with um, health and the healthcare system in my family. Um, I grew up with a brother who was very ill and that uh, personal experience combined with my experience in policy uh, inspired me to pursue a career in research in public health. And in terms of pursuing a career in research, really, I think it was as simple as just thinking, looking around me at the different public health policies and thinking that I could do a better job that inspired me to pursue a career in research. So I I hope that's true. I hope I can do a better job and also do a better job at training the next generation of public health researchers in my current role. You open your public health post article by laying out the three arguments that others have made against induced abortion. What are these arguments? When I drafted this piece uh, in about three, three and a half years ago now, Uh, I was thinking about this in a really personal way. So the uh, 2016 election had just happened when when I was drafting the piece, and there were all kinds of political promises to end access to abortion, perhaps even criminalize it. And I was thinking personally about people who I know and people who I'm close to, who do feel, uh, do have a strong religious or moral conviction, and they personally would never opt to have an abortion. And I think we live in a pluralistic society where we accept a plurality of different moral and religious convictions. And, but we also live in a a system where we have been hesitant to write those moral uh, religious convictions into law. We think of having a separation between church and state. So that's, that's what I was thinking of when I was uh, drafting the article. And at the time I was dismayed by the fact that the some of the anti-abortion arguments were incorrectly claiming that abortion restrictions are necessary to protect the health of uh, pregnant people in contradiction to the evidence base. And I think it's important that we have an honest and open discussion about people's perhaps very ambivalent feelings about induced abortion or, or, or other arguments that is, uh, that, igno- that is separate from or acknowledges uh, separately the scientific evidence and uh, the, the policymaking process. Your research supports conclusions that induced abortions do not harm women's health. 
How then is unscientific medical guidance codified in state statutes? I feel that they are bad faith regulations. I'm not sure that anyone really believes that uh, uh, having an induced abortion harms uh, a person's health. Uh, I think the they are bad faith uh, regulations written to restrict abortion. And that's my, my personal feeling. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there's no biological reason why having uh, an induced abortion versus a miscarriage would differentially affect someone's health. But these regulations only apply to induced abortions and not follow-up care for a miscarriage. We don't see any states saying that a doctor who cares for someone who had a miscarriage has to have hospital admitting privileges, for example. So that is very telling in my mind. And I find that very frustrating as I, as I, I still find it frustrating. I did three years ago. I still find it frustrating. I feel like if we're going to have an honest discussion about uh, banning or criminalizing abortion, let's, let's not misrepresent science. Public Health Post published your article about abortion policy in June, 2017. How have arguments and evidence on such policies changed three years later? We've seen quite a bit of change, I think, in the the politics of abortion, particularly with state actions on both sides, either to sort of codify protections for abortion, for example, in New York State, or to try to outright ban and criminalize abortion, such as in Alabama. So in some respects, just taking Alabama as an example, I actually find it refreshing because Alabama's new law did not say, oh, abortion is going to cause breast cancer, you know, citing non-evidence-based statements. Um, There is no pretense anymore in the Alabama law. It just it's very clear that that law just wants to ban abortion and criminalize doctors who would um, perform uh, such health care. So in some respects, I I find that to be a more acceptable and, and honest approach. It may be alarming to some people as well. And, and we'll see, we'll have to see what happens with that law as it moves through the court. We'll have to see if the courts continue to um, uphold the precedent and the, the zone of privacy as a constitutional principle or not. But whether or not we're ready as a country or whether or not we want to do this, these kinds of state actions are driving us toward I feel perhaps a more honest debate about about how we make policy, if we make policy based on uh, religious beliefs and uh, what kind of, how acceptable um, these abortion bans uh, will be. What advice would you offer to the generation of public health practitioners working to change the fraught politics of abortion? Well, I wish I had uh, a piece of advice. I wish I had a list, a checklist that people could do or something 
that was a surefire way to move forward. Um, unfortunately, I don't. I think it's going to take new ways of thinking about this issue, to be quite honest with you. My concern is a continuation of stratified reproduction and a reduction in uh, reproductive autonomy where wealthy and, and higher income individuals can continue to get abortion care by traveling to New York or Los Angeles or Canada and that uh, low income uh, people who don't have access to a local abortion healthcare provider will not have full reproductive autonomy. And that is the, the, the question in my mind for advocates is how to avoid that kind of uh, outcome at the end of the day. PH Pod features conversations with public health influencers tackling topics that may be familiar but are sometimes uncomfortable. This podcast series is brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. Every day we feature new articles about the state of the health of the population. Join the conversation on social media and subscribe to the PHP Friday Roundup to receive our stories of the week delivered to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org.